With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me today is my co-host, Curtis. We hope all of you guys are staying safe and staying sane out there. And today, we're going to take a day off from our Glory UGA Greatest Georgia Football Players of the Past 25 Years Tournament, just for one day, or for one show, I should say, to answer your questions from our March mailbag. You guys know we do this at the end of every single month during the off season and coronavirus or not like we didn't want to change that if we didn't have to we all know the coronavirus is disrupting a lot of things out there in our society but at least on this show we want to keep to our normal routine as much as we possibly could so with that in mind we are keeping with our regularly scheduled end of the month listener mailbag you guys know we try like we try to do our best to, to make this a show of the people for you guys. So we want to make sure to give you guys a chance to have your specific questions answered, and we're going to do that today. We're, we will definitely continue along with our greatest football players tournament later on in the week when we will be breaking down and revealing the winners of the second round. We have some interesting matchups. We definitely want to talk about all of those, and we'll get to that later this week. We should probably have that up for you guys on Wednesday or Thursday. I think we're uh, right now we're playing on recording on Wednesday, if I can get everything produced and ready to go. I can have that up on Wednesday evening or potentially uh, early Thursday. So we'll have that up later on the week and we will post also the Sweet 16 matchups on Twitter for you guys to vote on over the weekend. So that's going to be a lot of fun, especially now as we're getting deeper and deeper into the tournament where these matchups are going to become even more difficult and more intriguing and just really just more fun to talk about. But today, we are answering your questions, and we have a number of them to get through. And some of these questions might take a little bit longer than normal to get through. Uh, For example, this first question, we're probably going to spend a a little bit of time talking about this question. There's a lot of different aspects to it. So a lot to get through. Uh, Let's not waste more time. Let's go ahead and get to it. And first up today... We have a very important question from Ellis. Really, I think this is the question of the hour right now. I think this is where all college football fans' minds are right now. Collectively, we are all sitting on pins and needles wondering like, how far into the college football season will this coronavirus deal spill into? And I know obviously there are many other more important things to be worrying about right now, but if you're a college football fan, you can't help but at least be thinking about this. And I think we're we're thinking about it more and more with each passing day as the number of cases and deaths continue to grow. Uh, and we had a lot of people send in very similar questions to this, but uh, Ellis was the first one that sent in a question about this. So we're going to go with his specific question today. And Ellis asks, all right, guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's the likelihood of Georgia playing all 12 regular season games this year? I mean, obviously, Kurt, like this is – I mean, I, I, I said on the show last week, as soon as I saw that the NBA was shutting down operations a couple weeks ago, that was my first thought. I was like, oh, my God, please do not let this bleed over into college football. And now it's seeming like with every day, people, there's more talk about that being a possibility. Uh, and there, there's a lot of directions to take the answer to this question, and there's a lot of facets to this. But let's start with just the first part of this question, Kurt. On a scale of 1 to 10, like right now, obviously not you nor I are experts on the coronavirus, pandemic, prep, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think all of us in America are becoming more expert at this with each passing day because it's all we see and all we hear 24-7. But uh, right now, Kurt, if you had to say on, what is it, March 29th at 6.53 p.m., on a scale of 1 to 10, what's the likelihood of us playing all 12 regular season games in 2020? Um, I'm going to go with an 8. And the reason I say that is I believe that they're going to want to get all 12 games in. If it came down to it, they'd push the season the starting date back. Because a lot of it, especially like if the, some of the games that would get canceled would be some of these non-conference games. 
And a lot of the time, that's the difference in someone making the playoffs or not. Uh, and I think that's the only reason because if you didn't, then it it may mess up the just the whole entire season when it came down to you know t- uh, time for the college football playoffs. And that's why I think that they'd find a way to get almost all twelve games in still. So you're actually way more optimistic than I am on this. I want. Well, I'm just optimistic in them taking at least like I wouldn't be shocked if the season got pushed back. But I think they're gonna want to get all the twelve games in. I think they definitely. So I'm with you on that. I definitely want to get all 12 games in. Was it Bleacher Report somewhere? I read an article where there's a bunch of different athletic directors and maybe some coaches talking about uh, the possibility of getting the season in and, and why they need to. And there's there's so many reasons why we need to get college football season in. Not only do we do we want it, obviously, because we are uh, especially down here in the South, we are addicted to it. It is our national. It's it's our re- at least regional. Obsession. We love this. We live for it. Uh, we, I mean, that we live and die for it. I mean, at least I'm speaking for myself. I think most of you probably would be with me on that front. Um, so, like, obviously, from like a psychological standpoint, just a mental health standpoint, we desperately want it and desperately need it. And of course, from a financial standpoint, all the universities want and need it as well. So, you saying because it's such, it's so important financially and psychologically that, that you feel confident they're going to find a way to get in? Is that kind of what you're saying? Because it's just so important. Yeah, and I think the thing is like especially like the way the college football playoffs are. I mean, for a lot of teams, especially some of these top teams, that's what you're playing for. And if you cut that out, I just don't know realistically how you can realistically and fairly look at some teams' uh, records and things like that when going into, you know, voting for the college football playoffs. Yeah, man. It's it's a very tough question. Like, I, I think obviously people want to again. But will we? I, I don't know, man. Like, with all the fear, the panic going on, I'm very afraid of someone kind of pulling the plug prematurely on the college football season before we really know what the situation on the ground is going to be like in September, October, and November. Uh, but it, but it's just so hard because the information changes. That's the thing to me. Like the, inf- the information changes, it seems like, almost on a daily basis. It really does. The number of deaths and number of cases and all that kind of stuff. And are we, are we flattening the curve? All of those things that we all talk about every single day and that we all listen to people talk about every single day. But that information is just so hard to say, especially when you're looking at, like, it's it's March 29th right now. We're talking about the season's supposed to start, what, September? I think our first game is September 5th. At least it's scheduled to be September 5th. Clarify that. I want to make sure I get that right. September, yeah, September 5th is when we play Virginia. Uh, at least we're scheduled to play Virginia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So we're looking at five-ish months away, all right? A little over five months away. So it's hard to, it's really hard for me to predict anything out that far in advance, especially when, again, I'm not an expert on this. And that's the thing, like when I see all these people saying like, like Kurt Herbstreit, did you see what he said over the week? I think it was a Friday. Did you catch that? Yeah, and I think that was a little, uh, I mean, as a little panic inducing. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying he's wrong. He might end up being proven right. I don't know. My argument there would be, it's just way too premature right now. We're talking about five months away. We're so far away from that. And like, I know they have models and projections and predictions and we have to prepare for the worst case scenario. And and I know uh, people are saying, well, it's, it's just going to advance exponentially. And I, I get all that, but like, we're talking about five months from now. Uh, if we get, and I know I'm not the first person to say this. I, I felt this for a while, but I, I'll go ahead and kind of just say what the people have been thinking or saying out, out loud anyways. Like, Kurt, wouldn't you agree that if we get into September, October, and we're not at a place where we can still we can go gather in large crowds, and isn't our world and society going to be in a lot of trouble at that point? Yeah, like we've got a lot worse stuff to worry about. I mean, if we're if we're at that point where we still can't, like our life hasn't got back to that that sort of normality, uh, we're going to have some major issues. But but that might be the case. I, again, I just don't know. So for me to answer the question, I would put it at a, at a five. Uh, because I think there's a lot of reasons that you kind of laid out why we need to and why we would and potentially could still get college football season in, even if it's delayed, pushed back, shortened, whatever it might be. But there's all like I'm not an idiot. I, I'm certainly open. Well, I don't say open, but I understand there's a very realistic possibility that that things could get worse. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't think any of us do. That's why I kind of get frustrated. People like project out five months from now. Like we don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe Kurt Herbstreit's right. Maybe. But I just I don't know at this point. So for me, I'm just gonna go to five because I'm not I'm not a genius. I don't I don't know where we're gonna be. I'm trying to take this thing day by day and week by week and just look at it that way as opposed to looking way out six, seven months down the road and saying, okay, this is where we're gonna be, because I honestly have no idea. I'm taking it day by day. I will say this, like I, I don't know, like I, I like are you with me, Kurt? If I said that like we're not gonna be playing college football, we're not gonna be having any college football practices on campus before 
the general student population gets back on campus, right? Yeah, to me, I'm looking at the earliest probably being around June, like when the freshmen would actually be there. Yeah, but I mean, we have to have summer school. I mean, does that make sense to you? Like, wouldn't we have to have summer school in session with students on campus before we hold a college football practice? Yeah, you would believe so. you'd yeah. And so I and, and so I think that's the case. I could be wrong. I I think that was is how it would work. I I think we'd have a hard time justifying having holding college football practice, having those students on campus, putting them at risk if we don't think it's safe enough for the general student body population to come back. Um, so like to me, that's a big question. I'm really watching that closely. Like, when are students going to be allowed to come back? Are they going to be allowed to come back for summer sessions? Because like this, I mean, obviously it's canceled for uh, or they're going to online learning or whatever for the rest of the semester. But like come summer. You know, first session, May, May semester or whatever, like, are you going to have college students welcome back to campus? Because if not, then I don't know how we're going to start practicing. I, I don't I don't know if that's going to be possible. So that's something I'm certainly watching out for. But um, I, the one thing I do want to say before we get out of here, because I was talking to my wife about this over the weekend. Of course, our conversation turned towards the college football season and whether it was going to happen. But um, I, I said a second ago, like, we need to find a way to get college football played this year. Not just for you and I and, all, and Curtis and all the listeners out there who need it psychologically, but like economically, the, we're talking about a major financial impact on these universities and athletic departments. I mean, Kurt, think about like how much – think about all the sports that, that Georgia football, our football program, basically funds – here on campus, like we, I mean, basketball makes a, a, a marginal bit of revenue, but not much. Baseball is not very profitable. And outside of that, no sports are profitable. None of them are operating in a profit. They're, or they're not, none of them are trying a profit. They all literally rely on college football for their financial existence. That's just the reality of college athletics. Also, Kurt, what happens? I'm curious what you think about this. So let's, and this is the conversation I don't think people are having right now, but this is what my wife and I found out over the weekend is, what happens if we don't have a college football season to all of those other programs? Can those programs, can swimming and diving have a season, Curtis? Can uh, baseball have a season? Can tennis have a season? Or are we just going to have no sports for a full calendar year? Because we, if we don't college football, we can't fund those programs. And, and that's a very good question. I honestly don't know where to go with it because I don't know if the athletic department has that deep of a reserve budget. Uh, we're like forever. We've always made fun of McGarity and, and seeing all these reserves and not using that cash. But, like we're actually in pretty good shape compared to most other college athletic departments out there. We have a, uh, I think it's like sixty-five million dollars in reserves. So we're actually in really good shape there compared to other programs. The vast majority of, of athletic departments in this country do not have significant reserves, and anything anywhere close to what we have in sixty-five million. Uh, and most of them are not as profitable as we are in general. I, mean, well, I think. The numbers came out about a week ago, and we were, I think, second nationally, only behind Texas in athletic department revenues for the 2019 season. That's not your average athletic department. Most departments are 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 kind of just at a marginal level. They don't have those reserves. So if, if there's no college football season to pay off uh, all the other sports and their costs, their expenses for next year, and they don't have reserves to live off of, how can they function? And let's say if you have, you might say, well, Georgia, we're fine. But what about other programs in the SEC? Are they all operating the same level? Or you might say Texas and the Big 12. Okay, they're operating. They're fine. They got plenty of money, plenty of money in reserve. Sure, they're, they're okay. What about Iowa State? What about Kansas State? Like those pro- – like, so if, if you have a handful of your programs in your conference that just can't operate because they don't have they – don't, they don't make any money from football because it's canceled. They don't have enough in reserves. So whatever other uh, sports you might have, tennis, baseball, basketball, whatever – well, they can't really operate because they don't have any money to actually operate those sports. So you might have seven, 10 teams in your conference. You might be working with like five or six and actually operate in the 2020, 2021 calendar year. So I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this, but I think that's a huge thing. I, I think that's one of the reasons why there's, they're going to, they're going to turn over every single rock they possibly can to get college football season in one way or another, whether it's a reduced season or it's pushback, they're going to try whatever they can to get this in. Because if they don't, I think the rest of the athletic calendar year is in trouble. Because most teams rely on college football, the revenue produced by college football, to pay for their athletic programs. It's just, it's just the reality. I mean, look, if you in a lot of those programs, that's like like basketball schools, like Kansas, North Carolina, these teams that are that, especially like Kansas, they don't make anything for football. It's all basketball centric. Well, the there is a a report that came out a couple of days ago that the NCAA is only distributing about two hundred twenty five million of what was a projected six hundred million dollars from this year's NCAA tournament. Uh, I think we got $2.1 million is what I read. I think this is from Mark Wise and Athens Banner Herald, which is, uh, which would account for 1.4% of our operating revenue, 1.4%. Uh, 
Uh, we made $33.4 million from football last year and, and ticket, it, it with, I think it was ticket sales. And then $42.3 million came from the SEC uh, with, with television contracts, SEC, SEC Network, all that. But all that's driven by football. Without football, that revenue's not coming in. So uh, I think that, that's a big question. You have, and also have to ask if these not, it's not only funding those sports, like like uh, paying coaches and things like that, but well, like funding scholarships. Can can some of these marginal programs that don't make that much revenue, uh, can they or generate much revenue? Can they actually fund scholarships? Can they pay room and board? Can they meet payroll for the athletic department? Like, I don't know. And think about the impact on towns. I mean, I, I live here in Athens, and I'm just thinking about like, Chris, think about downtown Athens. What would happen to downtown Athens if we did not have college football season? Uh, it'd be dangerous. Uh, you probably lose a lot of businesses. Yeah. I mean, businesses are already getting killed right now. A very significant part of their annual revenue comes from those six or seven fall Saturdays during the football season. And, and we're just talking about Athens. Think about some of the, the even smaller cities in the SEC and in the ACC, the Big 12. When you talk about small college towns, not having college football season can absolutely mean the difference between life and death for a lot of these businesses in these small college towns. And I know just speaking from being here in Athens, like we are going to need football season financially for the, for a lot of businesses in this city. Because you know, we, we have we usually have we have football season, then we have Twilight, we have Athfest, we have a couple big weekends throughout the year that really help generate a lot of revenue for the city for and for the downtown businesses. But we're not gonna have Athfest this summer. I can almost guarantee that. We're definitely not having Twilight. I mean, that's in April and that's or was scheduled to be in April, and that's certainly not gonna be happening. So, I mean, our businesses are gonna be hurting so badly, and without college football season to kind of help them to get healthy, man, I, I'm I'm concerned about some of these businesses uh, here in Athens. And I know that's a much larger economic picture, and I don't know how much the NCAA is going to take that into account. Probably not much at all. Uh, but uh, from my perspective, that's something that does, at least in some way, need to be considered when you're trying to answer this question of whether we're going to find a way to have a college football regular season. I think, again, okay, long story short here, they're going to try everything possible to get these games in. Uh, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, with how, what the climate's going to look like. So, Kurt, let me ask you this: If they move back the schedule, because you mentioned that as a possibility, right? And you asked, you actually sent me a, a, a text over the weekend asking, like, what am I going to do about hotels if they change the dates, right? Uh, and, that, and that's a that's a fair question. But I think that's the least of their concerns. Well, that's a concern of mine, obviously, especially if I don't get refunds on some of that stuff. But how reasonable is it in your mind? Because this is the conversation you're having. How reasonable is it to think that we can maybe push back the schedule? Is that something that you think is it going to be very like an easy fix? Like, is that as easy as it sounds on the surface? Um, it's probably one of the easier options than maybe some of the others that are being laid out. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's probably the yeah, I think that's true. It's probably more realistic than some of the other options. Like, did you see over the over the weekend? I forget where yeah, I saw the one it. claiming they play in June or July. So yeah, heat. but move it up to be in warmer weather, and it's like. <laughs> okay, that means we had to start practice in like May, and I don't know if that's gonna happen. So I, I mean, moving the schedule back makes the most sense, but even that is complicated. And like, let's say, because what you hear some, some people say is like, like you mentioned earlier, Kurt, like let's throw out the, the non-conference games and let's just do a conference schedule and uh, and push the season back to like maybe starting in October. Okay, well that sounds great and all, but there's there that there's some complex issues related to that. So. If you go to a, a, only a conference schedule, do you play eight conference games or nine conference games? Because we we've traditionally only played eight conference games, whereas like the Pac-12, the Big 12, they already and now the Big Ten, they already play nine conference games. So they are those teams are those those conferences going to play nine conference games? We're only going to play eight. Like how does that work? Or do we play nine now? Or do we play ten? And then you have to redo the entire schedule because like let's say like uh, for example, North Carolina and Clemson are, are uh, Clemson and Georgia Tech play a conference game week one. Very few teams play conference games week one. So would Georgia Tech and Clemson play week one still and, and everyone else is kind of just a, a bye week because they had non-conference games scheduled? Like, I don't know how that works. I think you have to redo the entire schedule is what I think would, ha- would end up having to happen. Like even the conference por- portion of your schedule, you have to redo it because not every team in the SEC is scheduled to play a conference opponent on the same week. It's like last year, for example, we played A&M in the week before the second last week of, of the year, right before Georgia Tech. Most SEC teams that week, that's like the baby seal week where they're just playing random teams that are terrible and they're just basically an extra bye week. Teams don't have all their non-conference games scheduled on the exact same week as all the other teams in their conference. You might have, most teams play 
a non-conference game in week one, but not every team. Most teams play non-conference games in week two, but not every team. In an ideal world, at least in our current reality, it'd be great if every single team in America played non-conference games in weeks one through three. You could just say, okay, you know what? We're going to cut off all those non-conference games weeks one through three, and we're just going to pick up on week four where our conference slates start. You just can't say that. That's not the reality of college football scheduling. So you'd have to, in my opinion, have to redo the entire schedule that way, and that that becomes complicated. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's it's not as easy. I think some people are saying, oh, yeah, you just move the schedule back. You say you take the entire schedule and you move it back three or four weeks. I'm, I, I just don't know necessarily if it works like that. So I don't know. There's a lot of uh, aspects to that question. But uh, So you're at an eight that we get in. I'm at a five. I'm 50-50. Uh, I want to lean your way, Curtis. But right now I just don't know with all the changing info we're getting almost by the minute here. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Enough on that topic. All right, next question. Uh, Jamie, I appreciate the question, Jamie. What do you think? Kirby is doing during this, he has it in quotes, time off of spring practice. So, Kurt, what is Kirby Smart spending his time doing right now in Athens? Um, probably spending a lot of time on the phone talking to recruits, calling recruits, still trying to keep a dialogue going and staying in contact with all these people. And then outside that, I would probably guess he's doing a lot of game planning and film watching uh, and probably watching practices and things like that, just stuff that he can do. Uh, and that's, that's what I would guess. Yeah, I mean, I, the first thing comes to mind, you're exactly right. He's a recruiting monster, so there's no doubt in my mind that he's been on the phone just constantly with recruits, especially now that we're not going to be able to host some of these. And, and like some of these uh, spring visits can be really, really important, go a long way, and you ultimately landing a guy down the road in December or February, next February. So without us being able to get these guys on campus, he's got to try to up the ante in some way and, and try to get these guys on the phone and recruit as hard as he possibly can that way. So I'm sure he's doing that. I'm sure he's spending some time with his family, but make no mistake about it. Kirby Smart is, is a workaholic and he's still very much working. Um, you're probably right in that he's watching film, doing things like things that he can do right now, trying to be as constructive as possible. Uh, and Kirby's a, he, he is a very detail oriented kind of guy. He's a master of the details. So I'm sure that he is working hard on contingency plans uh, every every possibility, having a plan for every possibility, no matter like ultimately with whatever it ends up being. I feel very confident saying that Kirby Smart is going to have a plan ready to execute as soon as he gets word on what the situation is going to be like. So I think that's what's going on behind closed doors right now. He's, uh, I'm sure, discussing things with his staff, probably over the phone, almost certainly, or video conference or however that might go down. But putting plans in place to be able to hit the ground running once we get official word on uh, what this season might look like and when he is going to be able to get guys on the field and be able to start working with them in person. Obviously, it helped a little bit uh, over the weekend. I believe it was maybe Friday when news came down that coaches are now allowed, the NCAA is allowing them to work with guys over video conference and meet with them that way. I'm not entirely sure if there are limits on how many hours you can spend video conferencing with your players. I'm sure there's probably some regulation put in place, but um, there might not be. I, I don't know. Again, this is unprecedented territory right now, so I'll be interested to kind of find a little bit more about that as the weeks go on. But uh, that's one of the many things that makes Kirby Smart, in my opinion, a great football coach. It's not only what he does on the field, coaching guys up, knowing the X's and O's, that kind of stuff. But organizationally, I think he does a really good job of setting our program up for success and really trying to be on the cutting edge in terms of how he can gain an advantage organizationally. And I can almost assure you guys that is what he is dedicating his time to right now. Obviously, recruiting is a part of what he's doing. A big part of what he's doing is that that never sleeps. But outside of recruiting and potentially watching some film, as Curtis was saying, I think he's organizationally trying to put a plan in place to allow us to be able to kind of hit the ground running once we find out what the situation is going to be moving forward, whatever that might end up being. But All right, let's move on. In the next couple of questions, we've got two questions from Ghost Dog 3. So we appreciate those. I'm going to put these together because they're kind of X's and O's questions, which I always appreciate. So we're going to, we're going to do these together. We're going to start with the first one from Ghost Dog 3. He asked, can you explain the star position on defense and how and what we need at that position? Who do you see playing the most minutes there? So let's start with that first part of the question, Kurt. Uh, can you kind of explain for some of our listeners out there uh, what the, how the star position functions, what kind of player you need at that position? Um, kind of functions in multiple different ways. It depends on the downage and the yardage. Um, especially when a third down situations, you have someone who's coming in, uh, 
they're coming in to almost play like a linebacker type position, but they're going to cover uh, the field. And the rest of the time, they're just like another DB out there, but they want someone who can still come up and be physical and stop the run if that's the case. If you had to pick a person, I mean, you look at someone like a Tyreek Stevenson who's physical in coverage, but who can also probably come up and make some plays at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that, that's exactly what you're looking at. I mean, it's kind of a, a hybrid-ish position because what offenses have done, one of the things offenses have done over the past 10 years, the offensive revolution in college football, is they've really kind of started to feature some hybrid-type players. And so what you have to do defensively to match up against hybrid-type offensive players is you have to have hybrid-type defensive players. It's the hybridization of college football, and it's leading in the NFL now as well. And so the, the nickelback, uh, which is – uh, what is basically the old school terminology for our star position. It's your nickelback. Uh, it's your fifth DB uh, in that, in that nickel package. Uh, it, it, he's essentially a hybrid player. He's a, he's a hybrid between a linebacker and a defensive back. And like Curtis, just like you said, you're exactly right. He has to be big and physical enough to fit against the run. He has run fit responsibilities, but he also has to be athletic enough to cover in space. And that's why that position is a critical part of a defense because a lot of teams have, are really figuring out offensively how to attack from the slot position and, and get the matchups on those guys. Uh, and they, they really, they, they want to target that nickelback. Cause it's hard to find a guy that fits that physical profile to find a guy that's big enough and strong enough and stout enough to fit against the run, but also athletic enough to cover in space. That's a very difficult find. You don't find many bodies like the guys that can do that. And that's why a guy like Tyreek Stevenson or Mark Webb or Devon Wilson, those guys are so valuable because those bodies and that type of athleticism, they do not grow on trees, that type of physical profile. It's difficult to find, but you're exactly right. Kurt saying like a guy like Tyreek Stevenson moving forward could fit in that role. Mark Webb has been the guy the past two years. Devon Wilson certainly had some time in that role as well. Those are the three guys I'm looking at this year. Um, but it's, it's tough to find a guy like that because again, guy that's that big and strong, but also that athletic, they just uh, they don't make guys like that very often. Uh, if and so, do you think Tyree Stevenson is going to be the guy at star this year, Kurt? Is that what you're kind of alluding to? Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it's between him and Mark Webb, realistically. Yeah, I think I mean Kirby loves Mark Webb. I think Devod, I think those three, Devod Wilson, Mark Webb, and Tyree Stevenson are going to be fighting for that spot. Last year, it was it was Devod and Mark Webb who were in that competition all all spring and summer long, and, and Mark Webb obviously ended up winning that battle. Uh, but Tyreek Stevenson came on strong late last year. He got into the, the money role, which is like the six DB ring your dime package, uh, which is kind of like an extra star position. Basically, it's like star two, which called the money. And uh, I think he's certainly going to be in contention for that role. I, I, he's not quite as big as the other two, but he's not a small guy. And I, but I do think he has better coverage skills than either Mark Webb or Devon Wilson. So I think that he has that going for him. So it wouldn't shock me to see that, but he's going to have to just go out there and be head and shoulders above better than Mark Webb. Mark Webb's been a really solid star player for us at least in the past year and a half or so. But it'll be interesting to see how that battle plays out if indeed we get a chance to see how that battle plays out. Uh, so good question there. All right, next question from Ghost Dog 3, another one on the X and those from this one about uh, offensive blocking schemes. He asked, how would the blocking schemes uh, in the running game change under Matt Luke? What does he bring that is different than Sam Pittman in the run game? Kurt, how would you answer that question? You're going to see like a, a more balanced mixture with him. I think we went to zone uh, under Pittman because what we were doing at first under him was not successful. Right. And, and, and the, the narrative was our lineman, you know, he liked the big, powerful lineman, big dudes, 340, 50 pounds plus. And those guys were not nimble enough to consistently pull effectively and that kind of thing. That was the, that was the narrative. I don't know how true that was. Is when the very few times that we did have guards and tackles and centers pull last year, I thought we did just fine. At it. I, I saw Kate Mays do it just fine. I saw Ben Cleveland do it just fine. I saw even Solomon Kinley do it a couple of times. I mean, I, I think that was a little overplayed, but that was the narrative. So we were very heavy zone blocking last year. We were about 70-ish percent zone blocking. I think we're going to go more towards uh, a gap blocking scheme this year, which is like it's fancy terminology for man blocking, more or less, like what you would call man blocking, old school man blocking. I think you're going to see um, certainly more pulling, uh, uh, pulling guards, pulling centers, and pulling tackles at times. It's Really, all you do is look at what, he, what Ole Miss's offense looked like. They were very adept at using the quarterback run game, and they were on a quarterback power, quarterback counter with pulling guards, centers, tackles, all of the above. And uh, I, in that way, one of the things that I like about that, it allows you to incorporate more misdirection into your offense, especially the quarterback run game. You can attach RPOs and that kind of thing to it. 
so I expect us to see more of that. Look, we're not going to be a spitting image of what Ole Miss was offensively, but certainly Matt Luke is going to have an influence on what our, at least I, I would say our, our running game principles are going to look like moving forward. He'll, he'll be a voice in that room. I, he won't have the entire state because he's not the offensive coordinator, obviously. But I do think that, that he's going to have a role in developing what our run scheme is going to look like. And I, I think you're going to see some more gap blocking scheme, more quarterback run, which I mean, if you look at what they had at Ole Miss, they always featured a mobile quarterback. And I, I was always very impressed and intrigued by what they were able to do up front with their blocking schemes with their quarterback run game. So I expect, especially with Jamie Newman, I expect to see a lot of that incorporated. Uh, and I expect to see us kind of lean on some of the experience that Matt Luke has running those kind of principles and those kind of schemes up front. So that's kind of what I would look at heading into the 2020 season. If we indeed, please God, dear God, let that happen. If we do end up having a 2020 football season. All right. Uh, next up, we got a question from Daryl. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend. I'm not sure actually how accurate this is, but there's a report out there. Daryl asks, uh, he says, Eli Wolf reportedly ran a four, four, three, 40 yard dash at his virtual pro day, which apparently is a thing now. If that is actually true, what is your reaction to that? So Kurt, but first off, do you buy that Eli Wolf ran a four, four, three at his pro day? Um, I highly doubted it when I saw it. Yes. Yeah. Four. I mean, like I've always saw the guy can move pretty well, better than Warner did, but like four, four, three. I mean, dude, he was about as fast as almost any receiver we had last year. If he indeed ran a four, four, three. Um, so what is your reaction? Like, like, when you see – let's just assume for the purposes of this question that it is true. All right, let's say that Eli Wolf, yes, he ran a 4-4-3. And by the way, he also I think it was like listed at a 4.06 short shuttle, which is borderline elite short area quickness. So let's say those numbers are true, Kurt. What is your reaction to that based off what we saw with the usage of Eli Wolf last year? Um, It doesn't It doesn't make sense because – one, I mean – he had some big drops, but a lot of his things too is he di- he did not create a, a lot of separation. And if you're running a four point four three, you're going to create more separation than what you saw out of him. At least, it, I mean, as long as you're like an average route runner, um, I thought he was a fairly good route runner last year. To me, what when I saw that, again, like let's just let's assume it's true. I don't know. I can't verify that. I don't know if it was laser timed or whatnot, but it was it was put out there on social media. Uh, and by, I think it was put out there by the uh, the group that was training him, getting ready for the NFL uh, draft, getting ready for his pro day, which, of course, they have some skin in the game here. They want them to look at I get all that. So maybe it's not true, but let's just assume it was. My reaction to that is like, I, yeah, that sounds about right in that, like, he did run a 4-4-3 and he was that athletic and that fast. That sounds about right for what we were doing last year offensively. One of my big issues offensively wasn't so much play calling, like a lot of people had issues with. It was more personnel usage. Really for two years, two, three years now, my issue for us offensively has been personnel usage. I did not think that we've maximized the skill sets of the players that we've had to work with on the offensive side of the ball. And if Eli Wolf was able to run anywhere in the 4-4 range last year and we did not use utilize him more and we stuck with Charlie Warner, who, God bless him, what a great young man and what a great leader and just – a grinder, tough, hard worker. I love Charlie Warner. But, like, Charlie Warner, it was, the combine ran in the, in the mid-four sixes. Is that right, Kurt? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, if, if – and I know it's not all about speed. In our offense, you got to be able to block and that kind of thing. But it's like, oh, my God. If, if Eli Wolf truly could run a, in a four four forty last year and a four oh six short shuttle with elite short area quickness and we didn't utilize him more than we did, like, that's just almost unforgivable. Uh, again, I, that, that wouldn't surprise me if it was the case because that's just my, my issue with our offense the past couple of years is more so than just play calling, individual play calling. I know a lot of people had issues with that. To me, it was more about personal usage. And if Wolf could run a 4-4-40 and we didn't utilize him more than we did last year, I think that's another prime example of, of that fact. So uh, that was kind of my reaction to it. And before we move on, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Simply Safe. You know, every night, local police departments across America, they receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. And the vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether that alarm is real or not. Like, is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is, hey guys, the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe Home Security is different. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an actual eyewitness account of what's going on. Uh, that means police dispatch up to 350% faster. 
faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire house. You get the outdoor cameras, doorbells that are going to alert you to anyone approaching your home. You got entry, motion, and glass break sensors that also guard the inside of your home. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It's 24/7 monitoring by actually live security professionals, and you can totally set the system up yourself if you if you're that kind of guy, the DIY kind of guy. No tools needed or anything like that. Or if you are more like me, you can just have Simply Safe come do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. All you gotta do is visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You truly have absolutely nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. All right, moving on here, we've got a question from Isaac. We have a recruiting question from Isaac. So thanks for the question here, man. Uh, obviously, recruiting has slowed down a little bit. Uh, no visits and things like that. Uh, no evaluation period right now. It's tough. Uh, but running back Trayvon Henderson, uh, he did just commit to Ohio State over the, I think, uh, maybe Friday or Saturday. Uh, so Isaac asked, with Trayvon Henderson off the board, I think he was the number one rated, uh, running back on the 247 composite right now. Which remaining running back are you highest on? So, Kerr, I mean, Trayvon Henderson was a stud. I mean, his junior film that was released a couple weeks ago was flat out disgusting. It was nasty stuff. And I was, I'm kind of salivating over that guy uh, ever since then. I know we were recruiting him heavily. We offered him a while, but we were kind of ahead of the game on that front. But he ends up going to Ohio State. Ohio State also got uh, Evan Pryor, who uh, was uh, uh, another top level running back. And they, look, they, they are desperate need of running backs there. So it makes sense those guys end up going with Ohio State. But looking at the rest of the board, Curtis, the guys that we're still recruiting at the running back position, who are you highest on right now? Who would you feel good about us landing? Um, my two are probably Donovan Edwards yeah. and Cody Brown. Yeah, I mean, and Cody Brown, if you guys aren't familiar with uh, with Cody Brown, he's a uh, Farview High School, more of a, a bigger physical running back, maybe not quite a good speed, but not a, a burner or breakaway type guy, uh, but a good, a good. I don't want to say change of pace back, but uh, he's a guy with some versatility and a little bit, brings a little bit, Something different to the table than maybe some of the guys that we have on campus right now. Um, so he's certainly named a watch for. Uh, he's been he's been on the radar for a while now. But I think you mentioned that the guy who's probably number one on our board right now, and that's Donovan Edwards, who is number thirty eight nationally currently in the two four seven composite. He's from Michigan, so it's gonna be a tough pull. But we've been recruiting heavy for a long time. I think we certainly sit very good for him. I, I'm not gonna call us a front run or anything like that, but I think we're still in good solid shape with him right now. Another guy to watch for is Lavoisier Carroll. I think that's how you pronounce his first name. I've never actually heard someone say it out loud, but uh, with my reading of the name, I'm going to go with Lavoisier Carroll. He's from IMG Academy. And he's another guy who's in the top 125 nationally, so I would look very closely at him as well. And you mentioned Cody Brown, who's actually number 125 nationally, 247 deposit. So it's still some really good running backs out there. And look, we're not going to stop recruiting Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor. We're still going to go hard after both of those guys. Um, and hey, who knows? Maybe we can swing one of them and say, hey, do you really like you want to come in together at the same time? Like, I don't know. Maybe there's not enough carries to go around for both of you guys. So there's some different ways we can try to pitch that. And we're going to continue to recruit them. Kirby has certainly been able to flip guys in the past, high profile guys in the past. So I'm not going to concede them completely yet. But um, outside of those two, I'm looking at, like you said, Kurt, Dominic Edwards, Lavoisier Carroll, and Cody Brown as well. All right, next up, we have a basketball question here. Uh, this is from Steve. Thanks for the question, Steve. Steve asks, what do you make of Rayshon Hammond's decision to enter the NBA draft? And what does that do to our our chances in the 2020-21 basketball season? So, Kurt, were you surprised to see Hammonds make that decision to enter the draft? Nowadays, honestly, no. You're seeing it more and more with players like him. Um, he, I don't even know if I'd call him fringe, but the fact is you're seeing more and more guys do it just to test the waters and see what people think about him. And, talk to the scouts and stuff and see where they need to improve their game. Yeah, and, and that's you mentioned the key phrase, Kurt. You're exactly right. It's testing the waters. From my understanding, he has not hired an agent, which allows and the, the college basketball rules were changed a couple years back. If you don't hire an agent, you have a longer period of time to kind of go do some workouts with teams and uh, kind of get evaluated. And if you don't like the feedback you're getting, you can come back to the, to the college game. Uh, we saw Yante Maton do that a couple years ago. And Hammonds could certainly do that. I, I don't know. I, I will say this. Rayshon Hammonds, he does – I mean, it's kind of just like if you watch him play basketball, Kurt, like his judgment is not always the greatest. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. 
Yeah, like some of the, the there's ridiculous fouls he commits, and I love Rayshon. I mean, he plays hard. Really, t- he's a really talented player. I, I'll stand by that. Just some questionable judgment at times, and that might carry over in this decision. So who knows? I mean, I, I've seen guys. I mean, you call him like borderline fringe, and I agree with that. I mean, he's barely on the fringe of, of NBA level, uh, but I've seen guys that are even more fringe than him end up declaring for the draft, and and for whatever reason, it doesn't really work out for him. So I don't know, man. I personally, I think he would benefit from coming back another year. Some guys don't like being in school. They don't like going to class. Some some guys would rather go to Europe and make some money or play in the D league and make a little bit of cash or work the way in the NBA to go to school for another year. So I, it wouldn't shock me if he's stuck in the draft depends on the feedback he gets. I don't know. Um, but I wasn't necessarily shocked by that. It's, you're right. It's kind of just the way of the college basketball world right now, guys who are juniors, they're going to more than likely if they're anywhere close to the fringe, they're going to test the waters. And if it, they don't get good feedback, they'll come back. So he might very well come back. Let's say that Hammonds does stick in the draft first. The second part of the question here, if Hammonds doesn't come back, what does this team look like this year? Do we have any chance to even like remotely contend for an NCAA tournament bid? Probably not. Um, to be honest, I, I would be very, very doubtful. I mean, we would have to, unless, unless some of the guys on the roster right now take massive leaps forward in in uh the, in the, their second or third year or we go out and hit a home run on the grad transfer or just the transfer market because we're gonna have to if, if hammonds goes like we're gonna have to the transfer market get some immediate impact type guys they can't just rely on freshmen they got two juco guys coming out almost at this point wish we hadn't used the scholarships on them but we'll see but like i mean you're, you're i mean severe wheelers have to take a massive step forward uh fagan's gonna have to be uh a different player than he was. Kamara is going to have to be a, a 15 point, a, a night, a game player. I don't know if he has that in them right now. Like, uh, so man, I don't, I don't know. God, that's, it's it, without, I mean, even with him as next year, I'm not sure how great I feel about our NCAA tournament chances next year uh, without Hammonds, who will almost certainly be our, our leading scorer next year. I have some guy just making a massive leap. I, I don't know, man. I, I would say that, our chances are very, very slim if he ends up staying in the NBA draft. But I, I want to say I'm gonna be optimistic here and say that he ends up coming back. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna predict that right now. I can totally be wrong, but I'm gonna make that prediction. I just don't think he's ready right now. I think he's got some things he can clean up in his game. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I will say the fact that he had to essentially play the five this year did not do him any favors. Or play the combination of the four and five. That's not really his game. He's more of a wing. So maybe he got frustrated by the role he had to play this year, and so he doesn't think that's gonna allow him going to feature his game as well as he wants to to kind of get ready for the draft. So I don't know. There's different ways that you can look at this, but I'm going to be optimistic and say he's going to come back next year and at least give us a fighting chance to maybe be in contention for a, a bubble tournament bid kind of thing. But um, all right, next question. Let's go to the diamond here. Brandon has a question about the baseball program. He says, I thought our baseball team had a real shot at Omaha this year. Looking ahead, will that still be a realistic goal next year kurt like uh. um i'm gonna say no i think it's just because you're gonna lose a lot of leadership especially on the pitching staff which is where i think it's gonna hurt the most well they were carrying the team the first half i mean i know we were just about to enter conference play and we, we started off hit, hitting the ball fine offensively we we're okay but we were starting to show some signs of weakness entering conference play um with our bats uh, and i had some major questions there heading into conference play we were supposed to open up Conference play at Florida, which was going to be tough to say they were number one in the country. Um, but I don't know, man. Like the pitching was carrying us this year, and we're going to lose Hancock. We're going to lose Wilcox almost certainly. And I, I mean, look, we had some nice young arms. We got a chance to see at like, Cannon, for instance. Uh, you got some some guys that could potentially grow into those roles, but I don't know if they're going to be ready next year. And, and I don't know. Like we're losing, like, even though the bats were not strong. This year, we're going to be losing some of our top bats for like a third or fourth straight year. I mean, Tucker Bradley is going to be gone. I mean, Kim Shepard actually was was hitting the ball pretty well uh, the first part of this year. He's going to be gone. I mean, he was a senior who struggled to start the year, but he's a pretty he was a good hitter for us last year. To be gone now, I know that you're going to say like, well, the, the word is right now that spring ath- uh, athletes in the spring sports are going to be able to come back for their senior year if they want to, but like. I don't know if these guys are going to come back. I, it's going to be it'll, it'll be interesting. I, well, it really I depends it's, on what they're saying with the MLB draft, where they may limit it to only five that's exactly rounds. That's exactly where I was going to go next. Yeah, because like if it's because that's the that's the word right now. Like they're talking about it might only be five rounds, right? Is that what you're hearing? Yeah. And if that's if the, the case, you're not. Gonna, I mean, as good as Bradley was to start the year off, I don't think you're going to see him slide into the top five rounds. And it's not only that they're that they're only doing five rounds; it's that they're also 
limiting the 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 pool of money available for bonuses for the draft picks. From what I, I, I can't remember exactly the top of my head, but basically what I was saying is even for the top draft picks, they weren't going to be getting their full bonus. They were uh, their full signing bonus. That was a lot of that was going to be deferred as far out as the 2022 season. So unless you're like a top 200 pick, I don't know if it really would be in your best interest financially to come out with, with the situation. You may see where, some top picks actually. I mean, Wilcox, he could have leverage because he has two more years where he could say, well, I could come back uh, and still yeah. have leverage the next year because I, I want my situation full like, Yeah, his situation was weird because he was like, it was his age thing, right? Like normally once you come to college, you stay for three years and you can go pro. But with his age, uh, he started at 19. I think it's like once you turn, it's like your third year or by the time you turn, is either 20 or 21. But he'll be he'll be old enough to go after this year. Um, but he might come back here. He might have some leverage there. I think, would you say that Hancock's probably gone? Um, probably because he, I mean, being a top. He's a first round pick. pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a first round pick. So I think he's going to be gone. But you're right. I mean, Cam Shepard, uh, maybe. Um, he might come back, potentially. But he's uh, Riley King, with the way he's, how bad he started the year, wouldn't shock me. If they give yeah, him so eligibility back. back. Yeah, it, 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 that's you're right. So it's again, it's up there. We just don't know. If they indeed only have a five round draft, and I know a guy like Scott Boris, uh agent Scott Boris was freaking out about it, obviously. And I get what he was saying. And especially if you on top of only having five rounds, guys are gonna get their full signing bonuses right away. I can see a lot of these guys potentially coming back, the Riley Kings, the Cam Shepherds, the Tucker Bradleys of the world. That that's certainly a possibility. And if they come back, then we're then we might have I don't know, like I don't we would be in better shape, obviously, but without Hancock and without Wilcox, potentially, I still have a question about the pitching staff, which has been what's carrying this team. I don't know if the bats are good enough, even if those guys come back to carry the team next year. I mean, we'd be in better shape, but carry the team, I don't know. Um, so I don't know. It, it, there's a lot left to, to play out in terms of what that's going to look like, but I don't know if we'll be as good as we were this year. Is that fair, Kurt? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, especially with the pitching potentially being – the top two pitchers on the staff being gone, that – that could certainly be tough to overcome. Um, we'll see you there. All right, and finally, last question before we get out of here today. Fun question from Cliff. Obviously, there's not a lot of sports going on right now, so you're seeing this all over the place. I mean, heck, we're running our um, greatest UJ football players the past 25 years tournament uh, over the next couple of weeks ourselves. So we're doing this too. Um, but Cliff has a question about our top. what are our top 10 favorite sports movies of all time? Ten's a lot. Let's say top five. From the top of your head, um, first of all, let's just try to come up with some movies and let's try to rank them here. So, uh, Rudy, that's that's one you got to consider. Uh, Rocky. Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. Well, see, Friday Night Lights, the movie wasn't quite as high for me. I was more of a fan, actually, of Friday Night Lights, the TV show. And I actually didn't watch it as it was coming on. I was late to the party probably five or six years ago. But, uh, man, that was an incredible television show. I mean, it was dramatic. It had outstanding characters. I mean... Kyle Chandler absolutely killed it as Coach Eric Taylor. I mean, Mrs. Coach Connie Britton, she was awesome. Uh, she really played up the coach's wife role so well. Then you've got the players themselves. You've got Tim Riggins, Smash Saracen, all those guys. And, like, it was honestly, as a guy who was, like, totally enmeshed in the high school football world growing up myself, even from the time I was, like, a little league player all the way through my high school years, I thought they did a pretty good job of making it a realistic vision of kind of what high school football is like, at least big time high school football in a community with that that is that is kind of built around that. I mean, you even had like like uh, what was it, Buddy Garrity, uh, the the booster who was kind of behind the scenes pulling strings, all that kind of thing. I mean, it was a pretty realistic look at how high school football really kind of functions in in some of those communities. With the movie, we'll go with that. Friday Night Lights. Uh, remember the Titans? Yeah. Sandlot, can we throw a Sandlot in there? I know that's kind of juvenile. You got to throw the Sandlot in there. Yeah. Um, I think back to my childhood too. Mighty Ducks. I always go with For the Love of the Game. That's a good one. Uh, Field of Dreams. Yeah, I was never big on that one. I was never big on that one. Okay, this is one that I used to love when I was a kid. A League of Their Own. Come on, Tom Hanks. There's no crying in baseball. That's pretty good. I mean, I consider Mighty Ducks of <laughs> sports movies in that case. For sure. I would I would definitely throw Mighty Ducks in there. What about Happy Gilmore? Oh, that's a good one, too. Throw Happy Gilmore in there. Uh, Talladega Nights, Borderline. Borderline. Uh, okay, what about Dodgeball? Dodgeball, could that be – is that a sport? It depends if we're – If, you, if you allow Dodgeball to be entered into a sports movie, 
question. Um, that's number one for me. That to me is like one of the funniest movies of all. I, I know some people. It's not everyone's sense of humor. I I can never get enough. But I can watch that movie twenty four seven. Any given Sunday is a good one to me. That's a good one. That's a good. One. What would be number one for you? Let's go at least like at least give me your number one. Oh, I always go with Friday Night Lights. Really? Yep, that's a classic to me. Okay, all right. I guess that came out as more of like your childhood era, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and I and I was the when I was a kid, I read the book. The book was out before the movie, so I read, I read the book a long time before I saw the movie. Uh, all right, Friday Night Lights. All right, interesting. I wouldn't go with Friday Night Lights, but I respect you. I respect your decision. This is totally nostalgic for me, and I, I I have trouble with this now because obviously I'm not a Notre Dame guy. But Rudy for me was like the ultimate sports movie. I'm talking about like true sports movies. Um, and, I, and look, I, I'm obviously not a Notre Dame guy, but I connected with that movie because like if you inserted the University of Georgia for Notre Dame in that movie, that was kind of like me. That was like my dream going up, growing up. Like I knew I was never good enough to ever like get a scholarship to Georgia. Uh, I always dreamed of growing up walking on that kind of thing. Obviously, that didn't end up working out for me. And I worked my way through college. So that didn't end up working out. But just kind of growing up and just like the just the absolute love you have for that university and that program and everything about it. To me, I always kind of I connected with that tremendously because I just was imagining UGA instead of Notre Dame. So uh, Rudy was always up there for me. Uh, I remember the Titans is a really good one too, man. That, yeah, that one's high Titans on my list. is always number two. Yeah, remember the Titans is awesome. It's just it's it's funny, it's heartwarming at times. Uh, it's pulls on the heartstrings. Uh, it's got some good football stuff. Um, yeah, that's a great movie. Um, especially number three, for, for I'd go with Sandlot. Sandlot's a classic. You cannot go wrong with Sandlot. If somebody wanted to put Sandlot number one, you can't go wrong with that. I would never argue against that. That was one of my favorites as a kid. Number four, I think I'm Rock- gonna go with Caddyshack. Oh my god, how did I leave Caddy? Oh my god, Caddyshack might be number one. How did I leave that off? Okay. That just, oh my God, you just revolutionized my mind. Caddyshack's got to be number one, right? Come on, Caddyshack. It's pretty high up there. All right, I'm, I'm going to go stick with Rudy. And then Faith, uh, I go with Miracle. Miracle, really? Yeah, that's, that's a, a classic. Or number five for you? Yeah. I would, I'm, I'm going to go with Rudy number one. I'm going to stick with that because I still, to this day, my mid-30s cannot watch Rudy without tearing up. Just can't happen. Um, I love Rocky. Rocky always gets me. Uh, Rocky, I mean, I love all the Rocky movies. But Rocky one, the original Rocky. That one, uh, that one gets me pretty emotional. Pulls in the heartstrings for me. I uh, love that one. Uh, Caddyshack, hilarious. Love that's got to be in my top five somewhere. Um, if Dodgeball's in your sports movie, I'm throwing Dodgeball in there. And okay, number five. Ooh, remember the Titans or Tadega Knights? Mm, I'm gonna remember the Titans. So uh, I know that's not a complete answer to your question, Cliff. But I want to give you a, a couple movies there. And I'm sure there's a lot that we're leaving. I mean, Hoosiers is a great movie. There's a lot we're leaving off there. Kind of at the top of our head. That's kind of where we were leaving. We'd love to hear what you guys say. So hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ. But all right, guys, that does it for today on the Glory UJ podcast. We really appreciate you taking time to listen to the show. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. We will be back later in the week to cover round two and reveal the winners of round two of our Glory UGA Greatest Georgia Football Players of the Past 25 Years Tournament, so make sure to be tuning in for that. And later on this week, we will have the Sweet 16 matchups for you to vote on on Twitter. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. But thanks for listening, guys. And as always, go dogs.